Welcome, everyone, to the very first episode of The Jerry Lawler Show on Podcast One. My name is Sean Reedy, so lucky to be here, joined by, in my opinion, the greatest pro wrestler in the history of the industry, which we'll talk about as we go on in time. But uh, I know he loves that type of flattery already. The King, who made his triumphant (laughs) return on Monday, Jerry the King Lawler. How are you doing today, sir? I'm doing great, Sean, and I guess you had to go ahead and get it out of the way. The reason that you're doing this podcast with me is because <laughs> you are the, probably the only guy in the world that thinks I'm the greatest. Well, how'd you say it? The greatest wrestler in whatever or what? Doesn't Vince McMahon think that? Oh, no. I'm, I'm certain that's not the case. <laughs> Wasn't that in your book that there was maybe the most talented? That was it. He did tell me one time that he thought that I was the most all-around talented guy you'd ever met in the rest of the business i think that, that was a big compliment actually. you know we'll just get this out of the way in the first minute of the first show i think <laughs> i think you know between your babyface promos heel promos work in the ring both sides carrying a weekly territory for decades announcing booking i'm comfortable saying it so ladies and gentlemen that's how sean really got this gig uh <laughs> but it's really not you know that's not the case no, the no. way you get the way you got this gig is because you were recommended by some uh, very in my well a couple of good friends of mine that you all you do podcast with already randy hales and jerry jarrett right yes i am a huge huge fan of old school memphis wrestling i'm also a huge fan of modern wrestling so i've you know i started following your career when i was eight years old and saw you on wwe and then went back and saw you in memphis and everything and uh, we don't have to go over uh, my whole history here, but there, there's one big question coming out of Raw that I think we got to address right out of the gate. It's a very controversial thing. It's what everybody's talking about on Twitter, social media. What the heck happened to Baron Corbin's throne? <laughs> Baron Corbin's throne? TV. You're telling me that on the season premiere of Monday Night Raw and all of the people, the stars and the Hall of Famers and everybody that came and went on that show – you're telling me that the biggest thing that came out of that was Baron Corbin's throne incident? How many years have you been sitting on thrones on WWE TV? Uh, you know, be, to be honest with you, there's, there's been a lot of thrones uh, involved in my king's courts and that sort of thing. But I don't remember ever actually sitting in them. Okay, fair enough. So maybe that's why this <laughs> has never happened before. Right. But, well, uh, okay. Can you I, give but us I, the backstory. I do, of course, I do know what you're talking about. Um, this past Monday night was the season premiere of Raw, and and it was my first time back being on Raw, working with two brand new guys that uh, I had one of them I'd never even met before that day. But anyway, somewhere, um, I think it was it was sort of towards the end of Raw or whatever, uh, without notice. I, we had no idea. Uh, me and the other two announcers, Vic and Dio. We had no idea that this was happening. It wasn't in our format or a run sheet or anything. But all of a sudden, uh, Randy Randy Orton comes out on the stage uh, during during a I don't know if it's during a break or, or yeah no it was actually during during the show I can't remember exactly what was going on but just Randy comes out and he's just standing there and it was after I know it was after the fact that uh, Randy had already been induced or introduced as part of Team Flair for the big Crown Jewel show. And so then Randy comes out, and he's just standing there. And I guess it was because Seth Rollins was in the ring. So then all of a sudden, Baron Corbin comes out, and he said, well, actually, first, let me get the throne in there. As Randy's standing there, from behind us, a lot of stuff goes on behind us, uh, when we're at the raw announce table, because we're, you know, we're kind of up high and, and literally th- this was, this is a, um, an issue that we're going to have to deal with sort of, because literally within maybe we have for our chairs, we have maybe 
20 inches behind. If you, if you just pull your chair back or slide your chair back and just so you can stand up at the desk, there's the edge of the, there's the edge of the, I guess the edge of the platform or the, or the floor. And, and, and if you go back over that, you're going to fall like maybe eight feet down to the, down to the ground. So, uh, so anyway, we're, so like I said, a lot of stuff goes on back there. Whatever we have to do, uh, um, and on camera and the camera's going to, you know, show us some guy reaches up from, we can't even see him. Some guy reaches up from the floor down there. He grabs our chairs and puts them down, down onto the floor. And we have to stand up and turn around and face the camera so that, you know, so that the crowd and the ring and everything is behind us. So as I said, once again, a lot of stuff goes on back there behind us. So all of a sudden Randy's standing up there on the stage and I can see this commotion, and these guys behind us are lifting the throne, the king's throne, up from that back floor and setting it up on the stage right beside me. I mean, literally, I could put my hand out and touch the throne, and I'm thinking, now, what is, what is this about? And, but, and at the same time, we're trying to call what's going on in the ring. So I'm thinking, are they putting this up there for me or what? And then suddenly I see Baron Corbin comes out. Um, of the entranceway and he comes over by Randy and they stand there and look or you know make like they're talking or something for a minute and then Baron Corbin comes over and sits down in the throne I mean literally right beside me and so he wasn't in the throne for more than 15 or 20 seconds and all of a sudden the throne collapses it just breaks down into like 10 or 15 pieces, right? <laughs> and of course, in 2019, it's captured via cell phone and shared via Twitter and all of social media. Yeah, so I, I saw it out of the corner of my eye, and I re- and then I, and I looked over, and I really the throne's just lying there in shambles on the floor. And Baron Corbin's just he didn't know it, he didn't go all the way down. He caught himself before he went down to the floor. But he's standing there and looking down at the throne, and he looks and he looks up at me, and I just start snickering. I look over at Randy, and he's got his he's Randy's bent over, and he's just you know he's guffawing there, he's just dying laughing. And uh, but then I look back at the monitor, and I realize it didn't show like you said, it didn't show on on camera, it didn't show on the TV. But everybody up in the crowd saw it, and everybody got well, a lot of people got a shot of it on their on their cameras because I've seen it. Like you said, it did go viral, but no, I had nothing to do with that. Uh, it, <laughs> I didn't, uh, I didn't know it was going to happen, but it was, it was a pretty funny thing. And, and uh, somebody, uh, Panini, she, she sent uh, one of my big fans from in Thailand. She sent uh, a tweet out showing the, showing the incident as, as it happened. And she, she said, this is, uh, this is, Retribution for him stealing your throne. I was about that to. Was, that was the same throne that I had used in a lot of the king's courts. Maybe you're not meant to have a king sitting in a throne that close to the real king. It's just karma. <laughs> that's right. I think so. So that's just a joke, everybody. Obviously, that's not the big news of the week. This is arguably the biggest week in pro wrestling in about 18 years. We are recording this on Tuesday due to some scheduling things, so we are not able to talk about the big NXT AEW Wednesday Night War, and then uh, obviously this will be going up before the big Friday Night Smackdown, but uh, thanks for joining us. You can follow us on Twitter at Lawler Show. Uh, you can follow Jerry at Jerry Lawler, and uh, I don't know. We're just going to have fun with this. This show's kind of... Hey, you know, you know you're, you're right about following me at Jerry Lawler because it's amazing. Um, <laughs> me... And, you know, Vic Jacobs and, and Dio Madden, I just know everything 
everything. The world is at your fingertips on your phone with social media. I mean, here are the three of us out there doing live broadcast Monday Night Raw, and every one of us has our phones sitting there, and every one of us during commercial breaks are looking down and looking back and seeing. I mean, it's like instant gratification or it's instant feedback because I can't tell you how many tweets that I got during, I mean, you know, right during the show. It's like people think I'm, and well, I guess they're right because we do really look during the commercial breaks, but it's like, you know, people are thinking that they're going to get in touch with us while this broadcast is going on. And, and in, in essence, they really do because we look, we look at these things during the commercial breaks and, and the, the, the Twitter, the Twitter universe for WWE is strong and it's out there, man, in full force. See, I'd be terrified to do that during a show just because people on Twitter, uh, some of them are not the nicest people. Oh no, you're right about that. There's, yeah, there was, there's a few, uh, and it, you know, there was a lot of, I think there was a lot of that, before when the news came out that I was going to be back on Raw, there was quite a bit of the, I don't know how you want to, I probably just, I say negative tweets about, you know, people uh, that didn't think it was a good idea, didn't want me back on the air and everything. But I promise you last night and after, I mean, you know, the, the all the um, feedback that I've seen and that I saw on my, you know, on my Twitter account, um, it was just like 99.9% positive. It was really, uh, it was really gratifying to hear and see that it seems like everybody enjoyed it and, and like everybody had, you know, said that they had missed my voice being on Monday Night Raw. And so it was, uh, it, it was a, it, it was a good, um, uh, and like I said, good and gratifying feedback coming off of Twitter. Well, I was joking with you before the show. There's so many podcasts out there that, uh, go to war with Dave Meltzer, but Dave Meltzer said you were the highlight of the whole show. So this oh, is going really? to be so for now. As of this <laughs> week, this is the said, said yeah. I was the highlight of the whole Monday Night Raw. Wow, that's cool. As of now, this is the pro Dave Musser show. As long as we can <laughs> uh, stay out of trouble. But no, not only were you called the highlight of the show by Dave Meltzer, but the uh, ratings came in just recently. The show was up 360,000 viewers from last week and up 12% from last year's number, which is very impressive in this day and age when everything is going down on TV because of streaming and everything else. And I don't want to give all the credit to you for some 1998 Steve Austin <laughs> TV ratings drawing power, but I think a fair amount goes to you, perhaps. perhaps. Well, how many people was it up? 360,000 from last week. Wow, that's just my ex-girlfriend tuned in. <laughs> no, I, I, I really, I was excited about that. I mean, I'm, I'm hearing that for the first time. And like we said, if you're listening to this, we are recording this like we did the the live raw last night. So I am in Orlando, Florida, right now, getting ready to do something that I'm not supposed to talk about, but I can give a little hint. I'm supposed to go over and do some voiceovers for a new video game that uh, is being worked on right now, me and Moro Ronaldo. But uh, so anyway, that's that the raw was last night. And I, so you obviously heard the overnight ratings before I did. So that's, that's encouraging. That's, that's good news. That's good. That is a, uh, a very good start. So, um, you know, tell us here, how is it? Uh, what's it been, about four years since you've been a regular on Raw? Uh, I know this came together pretty quickly. How did we end up with Jerry the King Lawler making his triumphant return to Monday Night Raw? <laughs> well, that is a good question because I can't tell you exactly how it happened or how it came about. All I do know, and that I've, I've, I've told a couple of people, I had a call from the the, um, the Commercial Appeal, which is my our local newspaper there in Memphis, and then I talked a little bit on a radio show there in Memphis, but... Uh, I mean, you know, I was just going about my regular routine last week 
uh, and it was on a Tuesday morning and I was dropping Peyton off at school seven o'clock in the morning. And I got a telephone call saying just clearly out of the blue, Hey, we want you to uh, be in Phoenix next Monday and be part of Monday night raw, the announced team. And I was, I was shocked. I was really taken aback. So, uh, but that, that's, that's how it came about as far as what went on to behind the scenes to, to uh, bring me back. I had heard some, I had heard some rumors here and there, uh, but they were basically all dispelled last night after I talked to a few of the people. But uh, as far as, you know, I I just showed up and it's so crazy that people just do not realize what goes on behind the scenes of a Monday night raw or Friday night Smackdown or Smackdown live. And and I'm sure uh, that, you know, NXT to a little smaller extent, but it's just such a huge machine that is going on. There's thousands. I'm, I'm, I'm literally, it seems like thousands of people working behind the scenes. Everyone has a different job of all of the, all of the stuff. Oh, it was amazing last night to walk in. And last night was the first time uh, they were debuting the new stage. Did you see this? Did you see the set, the stage? Yeah, it was crazy. LED everywhere on the ground. I love having the pyro back. Everybody's excited about pyro being back. The flames. Oh my smoke. gosh! But 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 that that stage, that LED stage, every inch of that stage, all the way down from the floor, the the you know coming up to the part where our announce table sits, every bit of that is LED lighting. And going up all the way, the thing looks like it's a hundred feet tall. It's the most amazing thing. And I just stood there and looked at that when I when I walked out and just looked at that stage, and th- I'm just thinking, geez, how do they do this? Who who comes up with something like this? How do they make this? But it was, I mean, you know, this it's just such a it's just such a huge. Um, show and event and everything that uh so when i when i got there you know it was it was like no big deal i mean uh, i see all the people I've, you know i've seen you know, i hadn't been like i haven't been there at all i've been back on different occasions and pay-per-views and that sort of thing so it was, I was like hey king good to have you back and that sort of stuff as all the people in there going about their jobs and going back and catering and seeing other people everybody everybody shakes hands a thousand times a day uh, with with everybody in the back, but you know, and then I then I met Vic and Dio, and and that was that was the first I, I like I said I had, I had met uh, Vic Joseph before, and the cool thing about Vic, uh, he's a, he's a Cleveland guy, and he's a huge Browns fan and Indians fan just like I am, so we had that in common, and I had I had never worked with him before, but like I said, I'd met him and talked with him several times about the Browns and Cleveland sports, but but Dio Madden. I never even met the guy, never even seen a picture of him other than the one that they put out, Raw put out the day before, you know, saying, here's the new announced team. Uh, I mean, it was a crazy story for him how he's gone from, I mean, I think he was working NXT live shows not long ago, and then he joined 205 Live September 10th. I just looked it up. And then two weeks later, he's on Raw with you. Yeah, and I I don't know. I know that as soon as we went out and we sat down at the table, um, at the announce table, getting ready to start the show, somebody I can't. I guess one of the actually one of the cameramen came by and and said, uh, "So are you gonna?" And asked asked uh, Dio. He said, "Are you gonna wrestle anymore? Are you done wrestling?" And he just kind of looked up and, and and he said, "I really don't know." He said, "I hope not." And I, you know, I think I'm I'm supposed to be at NXT this uh, this Wednesday, but you know, I I I just really don't know. It's it's kind of 
everything's sort of up in the air until the last minute. I, and that is just the way the WWE operates. And, and, and obviously it works, but, uh, you know, it's, it's, you never know what's going to happen next when you're working there or when you're watching it. It's, that's one of the great things about it. Yeah, so I mean, what's it like being thrown onto, I mean, we all know the demands of a, this is not a, the old school pro wrestling announcing job that you're doing. I mean, this is a three hour major broadcast, billion dollar TV deal. What's it like being thrown in with, with two gentlemen that you're just meeting and working with for the first time and going right onto live TV on this huge show, really, the season premiere? Well, <laughs> I just, you know what, I just always, and I'm speaking for myself because I knew, uh, I just kind of take it in stride. I never really, you know, I've told this story before, but I never got into this business thinking for one minute about being a broadcaster or an announcer on the show. I got into this business to be a wrestler, and that's what I've always loved doing. And I've told this so many times to a lot of people, and they uh, have a hard time believing it, but I don't really, I'm not crazy about being a commentator. I'm, it's not, at least to me, it's not fun. It's a lot of pressure. It's it's a lot of preparation. It's a lot of. Is it a different pressure from being a main event wrestler? Oh yes, absolutely. The difference in that is I feel so confident when I'm in the ring as a wrestler that I, you know, I, I don't know if that comes from doing it for so long or whatever, almost forty nine years, as or or what, or I just feel self confident about knowing what to do, when to do it, and 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 you know, I I never go into a match thinking. Oh my gosh, let me screw this up. I, you know, I, this, this could, you know, this could all go south here and it can, whether it's my fault or somebody else's fault or whatever. I've never, never thought that going into a wrestling match, but I do think that when I sit down at the announce table on Monday night, raw, huh. I just, you, you worry. I mean, you know, there's a, there's just a whole lot depending on you and there's, and you know, it's just, it's a lot more than just sitting there and trying to, uh, think of funny one liners or something to, it's a lot more than that. I mean, there's, there's, you know, you gotta, you gotta be watching at all times. You're not, you don't have no idea when the match is going to end, but you do know that when the match does end, all of a sudden the, a graphic is going to pop up on the screen and you're going to be responsible for, you know, talking about an upcoming match at hell in a cell this week. And then, and then boom, Dio's going to have to talk about one and then Vic's going to have to talk about one. And, uh, and then bang, here comes the next talent out and you just talk about, you know, you have to come up with some stories and, and try to think of something to say about these guys. And it's, it, you know, it's just so much more goes into it. And I've, I've described it in the past as like trying to, uh, I look at it as like, because I don't like to think of myself as an announcer or as a commentator. So I kind of look at it as when, once we start talking, once the match gets going, I feel like I try to think in the terms of, hey, I'm sitting on my sofa at home with my next door neighbor, my best friend or something, and we're watching a wrestling show and the sound is off and we're we're just talking. And so but it's a lot more than that. You know, there's, there's a lot of pressure. You know, you, you just know that everything you're saying uh, is going out to worldwide to millions and millions of people. And, you know, you don't want to, you just, it's the, the, this, I guess the, uh, you're just scared of screwing up. Everybody, everybody is. That's the, you know, that's the pressure that's on you. That's interesting that you compare it to just sitting with a friend and uh, watching it together. Because to me, the announced team that made me feel that way more than any announced team ever and was, just remarkable and it was Lance Russell and Dave Brown I thought they did that oh yeah yeah that's that's true because they were genuinely that I mean Lance and Dave were friends 
I mean, you know, Lance, uh, Lance hired Dave, got him into the business and that they formed a, a lifelong friendship. And that just, that kind of stuff comes across. If you got that genuine, not, uh, if you got that genuine chemistry, it, it, you can't hide that, you know? So, uh, and, and, you know, it's no, um, there's an old saying I used to tell people when I listen to Jr. for example, you know, and, and, and Michael, you can hear the sincerity. I mean, with Jr. you can, I think that's, that's what set him apart. Yeah. You could hear the sincerity in his voice when he's calling a match. And my comment was, once you learn how to fake sincerity, you got it made. <laughs> <laughs> and so sometimes that's what that's what you're out there doing. Um, I mean, I can't. I, there's no way that I can tell you that there was any chemistry whatsoever between Vic Vic Joseph and Dio Madden and myself last night on Raw. It was impossible. We were doing it for the very first time. So right. uh, it, you know. So there I was trying to fake sincerity on that broadcast and, and, and hopefully it worked, but I, I felt comfortable. And, and that, that was another thing. I'm, I'm sure I was a lot more comfortable on that broadcast than either of those guys. Sure. I mean, you know, uh, Dio Madden said something about one of the, one of the guys in the, in the ring. He said, man, he's got to have huge butterflies in his stomach right now. And I'm thinking, yeah, that's the pot calling kettle black because I guarantee you, you got huge butterflies in your stomach out here right now. But uh, I can't imagine. That's, yeah, that's just the, that's just the way, that's the way it was. But you know what? I was so proud of both of those guys. I thought, I thought they did an excellent job. I mean, it could have been a disaster. Um, I, I know at the end of the at the end of the show, boom! All of a sudden, the mic opens up, and this is another thing. Uh, I can only I can only speak for myself, you know. But but Vince uh, and you have Vince, and you have the director, and you have all these people in your ear that can communicate with you at any given time. And uh, I've been I don't know if I've been fortunate. Some would some people would say I've been fortunate, but I get I pretty much get left alone out there. I don't, nobody, nobody comes in there and yells at me or says anything to me or whatever, but I know those guys are worried about that. And because it's, it's one of those situations. If you, if you really do screw up, say something wrong or whatever, there is somebody that's going to boom, come right in your ear and say, you know, Whoa, don't say that. Say it like this or do something, you know, something like that. So all I know is that the, the basically the first time I heard from Vince all night long was, Bang! All of a sudden, right at the end of the show, I could hear the I could hear the mic cut in, and there was Vince, and he said, "You guys had an awesome show tonight. Everybody was awesome. Thank you very much." Great. Yeah. So that uh, that was a that was like a big weight off you know off the shoulders right there. You know. I thought you sounded totally natural, but was it hard? You know, going back into a three hour show after being away from announcing for a few years, or was it something <laughs> to just hop right back into? No, it was, yeah, you know, it was hard. It really was. I know, I think at the two hour mark, a little after that, we have, you know, I took my pen and I just wrote on my run sheet there and I shoved it over to, to, uh, in front of Vic. I just wrote, this is long. (laughs) I wrote L O O O O N G. And he just looked down and said, yeah, this is, he just shook his head. Yes. I mean, because I mean, three hours is a long time to sit out there and be under that pressure of, I mean, you're expected to be entertaining 
every minute of that three hours. So, Well, I hope you guys are getting paid extra over the SmackDown guys slacking <laughs> with the two hours. But, uh, you know, before we get into Raw, I know there's a couple of notable hey, I never things. thought about that. We should get an extra hour of pay, should sure we? Get, absolutely. <laughs> Football season is here, and it's time to dominate the competition with your fantasy picks. And R.J. Bell's Dream Preview on Podcast One Sportsnet is your secret weapon to victory. I said the fact they didn't run it up in week one tells me this guy is so confident he wants to hide his strength. No matter the matchup, R.J.'s got you handled with top-notch analysis for the best NFL picks around. Now, is that true or not? I don't know. Very optimistic. Download R.J. Bell's Dream Preview every week on Apple Podcasts and podcast1.com. Just a, a, a crazy time in pro wrestling, obviously, with the beginning of the, the Fox deal and uh, the USA deal. So we had uh, WWE talent all over NFL games. We had uh, Becky Lynch with the halftime crew. We had Booker T in a production truck. Uh, I can't even <laughs> remember everybody that we saw. Uh, and then, of course, with AEW, they're doing tons of hype on, on Turner and, uh, you know, getting plugged during NBA games and showing things before movies. So what do you think right now just of the wrestling industry? I mean, it's uh, almost getting back to like it was 20 years ago as far as being yeah, so you know, in the mainstream. It, you're right. And every time I see something like that, I just I look up and I say, thank you, Andy Kaufman. <laughs> really interesting. <laughs> I, I really do. I, I just I just think that there was a time that that this would have never happened. But, but with, with Andy Kaufman's involvement in 1983, I think it was that long ago, I really feel like that opened the doors. And I'm not saying myself, I'm saying Andy's involvement in wrestling opened the doors for wrestling to, to get to where it is today. As far as being Hollywood, as far as being mainstream in, in media, uh, like it is. Uh, I mean, you know, you're 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 right when you talk about WWE now being on the Fox network. Uh, a billion billions. It's been talked about billion dollar deal. Holy mackerel. That's like we're right up there with, you know, now we're we're right up there with NFL, Major League Baseball, college football. I mean, it's like it's just it is unbelievable. If, if you'd ever asked me back in the 80s or even before that, when I was getting started, if I would have ever thought that wrestling would have this kind of uh, exposure, I would have said no. So a couple big things on Raw. Uh, don't know if you have any comments on the very provocative opening to the show with uh, Ray coming out to cut a promo and Brock Lesnar just suddenly appearing and not only destroying Ray, but grabbing his son Dominic out of the crowd. And boy, talk about another kid who was uh, getting his feet thrown to the fire for his first real big wrestling uh, thing to get destroyed by Brock Lesnar is a heck of a way to get started in the industry. Well, it was. And, you know, I'm, I guarantee you today that kid, I'm sure he's sore without a doubt because, man, especially when Brock slammed his back into that. And I said, I think I said on air and then I thought maybe I shouldn't be that graphic, but I just said it because that's what it looked like. I said, oh, my God, he broke his back or he may have broken his back. I mean, when he when Brock slammed uh, Dominic into that, you know, back first into that ring post there, I thought that was it for the kid. But, yeah, it was um, that, you know, that sometimes is is something that's missing from from WWE. 
Um, and the fact that, you know, yeah, it's fun to watch these guys that go out there and, and have these great matches with these, what we call big high spots and these high flying moves and everything. But, but sometimes you can see a whole match, uh, watch a whole match like that and be really interested and be excited about seeing all these moves. But to me, and I think the wrestling, uh, world will, will attest to the fact that what you need is you need to, to get the fans invested, to get them into, to really get them into something. You need personal issues. And that was so personal to see this big, freaking monster this beast brock lesnar go in there and 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 first of all you had you know ray mysterio trying to come back after after let's face it i mean you know he's been down a a bad road lately you know he's bad losing streaks and so he's he's at he was thinking about quitting you know he thought maybe my time's passed and then he gets years you know this is this is like uh you know, just a life story. All of a sudden, his son, Dominic, comes along and gives his father a pep talk and said, no, you're not done. You you know, you still got a, a lot of life left in you and there's there's still mountains you can climb. And and so, you know, he, he comes and he goes out there. He's going to have this big match and he's dedicating it to his son sitting on the front row. And then that that Kodak moment is is ruined, spoiled by this guy, this jerk, Brock Lesnar and Paul Heyman coming out and just, you know, ruining it. And just uh, that that is such a that made it so personal. And especially the fact that, you know, as it was told later, you know, Brock Lesnar is doing this to try to send a message to Kofi Kingston, who he's going to be fighting on this on the premiere of Smackdown on Fox uh, this coming Friday. And, uh, you know, all because all because of he wants to, you know, to make himself and to make get attention on himself for the Fox broadcast. He's going to ruin this this father son moment with between Rey Mysterio and his son. So uh, uh, that that was it was a it was a shocking thing. But by the same token, it's something that uh, will get. Uh, believe me, it, get, it got the fans talking. I, I was going to say, you know, I'm sure that uh, Dominic sore today, but, you know, how else are you going to what else could he have done to get his name on the lips of everybody that watched Monday Night Raw last night? Well, absolutely. And to me, you were talking about how wrestling is kind of missing some of the personal issues in the old days. To me, Brock Lesnar is such a throwback because he has a legitimate feeling of just danger that is missing from pro wrestling sometimes, just legitimacy. Uh, he's not tweeting or Snapchatting or, or doing any Facebook lives. Uh, people just imagine him living in the woods when he's not destroying people. Uh, he's just a special talent. Yeah, w- w- without a doubt. And I don't know if anybody caught it. You may have. There's may have been some people that uh, saw it or didn't hear it or may have gone to bed by then. But, you know, towards the end of the show, Paul Heyman came on and did you hear the fact? Did you hear what he said about this is not your typical threat? He said this is a spoiler, spoiler alert for SmackDown. You will hear the words that Brock Lesnar will beat Kofi Kingston and become the champion Friday night. And so far, every time he has issued the spoiler warning, it has come true. As we mentioned, we're recording this Tuesday. Hey, I, I, I got to do a spoiler last night. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I told everybody. 
that that uh, I said, <laughs> well, I didn't say the word spoiler alert or anything, but it was a spoiler. I told everybody basically that uh, the fiend Bray Wyatt was going to appear at the end of that match. Yes, you did. I'm you kept mentioning his presence in the building. Yeah. Another big thing, two men that you uh, main evented against at the Mid-South Coliseum, Hulk Hogan and Ric Flair, uh, made an appearance on Ms. TV to hype a five-on-five match where they're the captains for the upcoming show in uh, Saudi Arabia. Uh, what did you think of this? I thought it, I thought it was great. I loved it. I loved seeing uh, uh, Ric Flair face off with uh, – Hulk Hogan and and you know and I love hearing hearing Hulk say you know brother you want one more shot at these twenty four inch pythons I thought that was all great I I, I thought it was a uh, it, and it, it was a classic build up I think that even I thought are these two guys gonna are we gonna see another match between you know between these two Hall of Famers but then uh, where well, we're gonna get the next best thing it's gonna be Team Flair and Team Hogan and and we're going to find out in the next few weeks who's going to be uh, on who are going to be all the guys on those teams and that should make for a very interesting show when hogan approached flair when they were cutting promos on each other like you could see everybody in the building come to their feet after oh, all sure. this time absolutely so it was great that was great and then we had a uh, a controversial ending i'm not sure uh, what was hotter the, the the flames that you had to endure from uh, seth rollins <laughs> entrance or the uh, Lashley Lonicus, quite the reveal at the end. Um, oh. Like you were mentioning, personal issues, Memphis style stuff. This was uh, this was go. something go. that got a lot of attention. It's going to get a lot, and I think there's going to be a lot of people watching next week to see what happens. Yeah, I'll be one of them <laughs> because you're right. That uh, I mean, you know, hey, I got I called I called my fiance after the uh, show, and um, after all the stuff that went on. What do you think the first thing that she thought, talked about? The kiss? Yes, of absolutely. Course. Of course. Yeah. And, it, it, I mean, you know, then everybody looks at it a different way. I mean, I, I said the way I was looking at it, uh, you know, I, I was screaming it out. I said, I said, you know, Bobby Lashley is kissing, is kissing Rusev's wife right in front of Rusev. And – I don't know. I, I mean, I, I talked with some guys backstage how Rusev could stand there. I, but you know what? I did look back on it, and half the time he just stood there and closed his eyes. But but how you could stand and not jump out of that ring and and the restraint that he showed. Uh, but I don't know. I don't know how he did it. But what that just it just feeds into. Uh, you know, you you want to find out what's really going on. I mean, did he not go after? Did he not go after Lashley because was he blaming was he was he blaming Lashley at that point, or was he blaming Lana? Would it would have would it have been? I mean, has their has their marriage deteriorated so much that it would have been futile to even go back there? I mean, was she was she actually coming out and doing that to? you know, to get back at him for something. I, who knows? It's just a, it's just a classic. Uh, it's kind of some, something that we, it, it was like, we're seeing something that we definitely shouldn't be seeing. Uh, but we, we, we're going to, but we're going to get to see how it all unfolds. I'm sure in the future. 
Yeah, I, you know, I saw some complaints about it online. If you look at WWE YouTube views, the the Hogan Flair thing has about uh, 900,000 views. The Lashley Lana thing is at 2.1 million. So, I mean, <laughs> it kind of shows you what, what people gravitate to. And it's not like there wasn't great wrestling in the show. You had Cedric versus AJ. You had uh, Ziggler and Root against Heavy Machinery. You had Ricochet and Cesaro. So, to me, I mean, it's a, it was a healthy mix of there was some, some great wrestling up and down the show, but then uh, the sports entertainment. Yeah, and uh, I think uh, you had mentioned you wanted to make a comment on uh, heavy machinery. Maybe they won you oh. over a little bit. You had a, a line that was being used on Twitter about how uh, marriages in the wrestling industry work out as well as uh, Otis was work out as much as Otis. Yes, I'm yeah. sorry, I buy and, and that's not very often. Yeah, right. Uh, but my, I think that the, my favorite line, or the, at least the line uh, about Otis that seemed to get as much or the most attention on uh, Twitter was I said I, I was back in catering and I saw Otis eat a minute steak in 12 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but no, those guys, uh, I, I love them because if, if, from my point, they are endless. There's endless material there with those two guys, especially Otis with that physique and that, uh, those gyrations and those moves. I mean, they, it, of course, I, when I, I saw it, I'm thinking the worm, but I guess now he calls it the caterpillar because I guess a caterpillar's bigger than a worm. But, uh, yeah, there's, there's so much, there's so much stuff with those guys. They have, they, they have seemed to have so much personality and that look and, and all that kind of stuff. I, I, I hope they're on every raw for a long time now because I can, I can really, I can bring out some, Great one-liners about those guys. Oh, I can't wait to to hear what you have on Otis. I'm sure you're just going to have your mind <laughs> racing during the week. Uh, and you did a nice job in that match, mentioning Ziggler being from Cleveland, trying to collect a win like the Cleveland Browns. Exactly. I had to get the well. Well, I got to. I got to be honest with you. Vic Joseph said, "How how many times can uh, how many Cleveland mentions can we get in? How many Browns plugs can we get in? And I'm thinking, uh, because some of the powers that be, especially, uh, on that particular night were big Baltimore Ravens fans. So we didn't, oh. we knew that we didn't want to rub that in anybody's face there behind the scenes. So we, I, I told him, I said, we probably should not mention Cleveland on the show, but it just worked out. I thought about it, and then and, and the reason I did it was because it was so funny. I like right before that match, I had checked, uh, I had looked down at my at the Twitter account, and I got a well, actually, this was came in by text on my phone. Uh, I got a text message from Brad Melland saying, "King, you're sounding great." That he's the equipment manager for the for the uh, Browns, and so that that was on my mind and then when when Dolph was in the ring I that's with my chance I said here's my chance and as soon as I said that I got the thumbs up from uh from Vic so yeah he had been wanting to get in in a plug for the Browns and speaking of the Browns how awesome were they this past this past week to go down to Baltimore and beat the Ravens oh, oh it was so, so wonderful for oh me. What, what's better than that the team that stole the original uh Cleveland team from right. you to go and spank them Right, right there during and during the during the game, they threw up a big graphic, a big picture of a smiling Art Modell, along with Ozzie Newsome, uh, and right after they had gone, you know, right after they had taken the team to Baltimore. And I remember it, it was like three years that Cleveland didn't didn't even have a team, you know. I, I but, but you know what? I will say, I mean, I I knew Art Modell. I had him on my TV show several different times over the years, uh, and 
a lot of people don't really a lot of people just don't really know what the true story of that was. He he really he was going to have to um he was going to either have to move the team or sell the team. I mean they they had an old antiquated stadium and the Cleveland people the the voters would not vote in. They would not give them the money to build a new stadium and uh and it was the, you know it was in the time where all of these big new Stadiums were being built left and right with all these skyboxes and everything. And the old Cleveland Browns Stadium, even though it would seat 80,000 people, it was not up to date. And so they were going to, he was faced with that alternative and they wouldn't build him a new stadium, so he moved the team. But the one good thing that he did do uh, was he left the name to the city of Cleveland, the Browns. And, and I mean, because, you know, I'm, I look out here now and I see, you know, late yesterday we were in Phoenix and there's the Arizona Cardinals, which, you know, used to be the St. Louis Cardinals. And and and, uh, and these teams move around and they take the name with them, you know, Indianapolis Colts. And then, of course, Baltimore became the Baltimore Ravens and, and, and Cleveland got to once they got got a team back, they were still the Browns. So that's a, that's one good thing about it. But, yeah, I, I, it was a great that was a great win Sunday. Now, I don't want to get you in trouble, and I don't want to plug the opposition here, but next week the Browns play on a Monday night. Uh, what's the situation there? It's pretty much impossible to ignore the game and record it, right? You're you're going to be getting a million text messages. Oh, yeah, I'll be. I'll, I'll keep up with what's happening during the game. And you know what's crazy? Um, the Browns are playing in San Francisco, and we're going to be in Sacramento. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Yeah. If it could have just been a Sunday game, you could have made a whole trip of it. Oh, I know it. If it had been a day game, I would have probably, uh, or well, yeah, if it had been a Sunday game instead of the Monday night game, you're right. That's exactly what I would have done. But anyway, uh, yeah, I'll, 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 I'll keep up with it. I won't, I won't be able to be watching it at all, but I'm sure people will, uh, I'll tell Brad, <laughs> I'll tell Brad to text me every few minutes if there's any score difference, you know. And uh, then the other main thing on Raw, the main event of the Hell in the Cell pay-per-view, is the fiend Bray Wyatt, who has really caught fire uh, with the company, uh, just really over right now, I think had something to do with that ratings bump, uh, facing Seth Rollins for the Universal title in the Hell in the Cell Sunday. And I'm interested on your perspective on this persona, not just because you have had a personal interaction with him on TV, but uh, also just because of your history of loving, you know, movie monsters and, uh, you know, you can talk about the the Tom Savini connection, just things like that. Your your opinion on Bray. Well, um, yeah, the, you know, of course, I, I got to uh, I got to weigh my opinion now because I, I've been one of the you know, one of the Hall of Famers that got attacked by the fiend, Bray Wyatt, and that was not fun at all, for real. <laughs> uh, I can tell you this, the guy needs to trim his fingernails, um, and he needs to wash that glove, that uh, that glove that he wears as well. But, yeah, the character has really caught on. And, and you know, last I got to tell you, last night in watching the uh, Funhouse um and poor rambling rabbit was that it? that was his name i guess he's he's history i guess and and that it was so funny that it reminded me of a little scene from the movie the jerk where steve martin had become a millionaire you know and he had this man and wife who were now his maids and a servant and maid and uh i don't know something happened where the woman the woman was like i don't know she made some kind of early withdrawal from a from a bank account of hers and all of a sudden she was seen out in the backyard in front of a firing squad 
and the husband was her husband was looking out the window and you see the firing squad goes three two one bang and they shoot her boom and she's you know she's like shot and the husband looks and just kind of drops his head and then he turns to see martin says well, one can't grieve forever. Can I get you a drink, sir? <laughs> <laughs> and so that was almost what uh, that was what happened with Bray Wyatt last night. He said, "Poor little rambling rabbit." He said, "He's gone." Oh well. And I was just thinking, one can't grieve forever, so let's move on. But anyway, that was like the first time in watching uh, uh, the Funhouse that I really watched it from start to finish. I mean, I, I'd heard a lot of stories and I'd seen the little the puppet characters and and uh, and everything with it, especially the one I love is the little Vince McMahon head with the devil horse <laughs> on it and all that. But we saw all of that last night. And, you know, I, I, I really don't know what to think of the fun house. I love, I love the, uh, the fiend character, you know, because I go way back. I've always, I've always been a horror movie fan and, uh, and love the makeup and the masks like that, you know, like he's wearing. And like I said, I, I was a guy that one of the first ones that met Tom Savini at a show in Pittsburgh and I brought Tom backstage. Tom Savini has been in, I don't know how many horror movies and all kind of great movies. And he's probably the greatest horror makeup artist in the world. And, and he was, so he was just there as a fan and you, you noticed him, he right? He was just there as a fan. And I, yeah, because I mean, I just, I like, you're right. I, I was so in, I've been so into reading famous monster magazines my whole life and all this stuff. And I see him sitting on the front row and I went, Tom Savini. And he said, yeah, you know me? And I said, yeah, come backstage. And so, uh, so the, yeah, that's how we met. And I've been to his house several times and his house is like a, freaking horror museum it's the greatest thing in the world he's in lives in pittsburgh and so um anyway tom and i became really good friends and 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 since uh taking him backstage and he got to meet a bunch of the guys and met triple h and so over the years this happened years ago when i first met him and over the years tom's been involved in a lot of things he made that remember that mask of triple h sort of like the uh oh like one of those barbarian masks Oh yeah, uh, he, he Tom did that, and he's he's worked on a lot of things. But this uh, he and and his students, he all he has this makeup school, uh, and and he and he has I don't know how many students that come and 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 work under Tom, you know, with the, making all this horror makeup. And so anyway, for the movies, and so anyway, he and the some of the students, one in particular, came up with this Bray Wyatt mask. And it's just awesome. I mean, you know, it's it's such a cool character. Um, but I I just have I have a little trouble distinguishing, you know, between the from the fun house to the to the fiend character. But I I, I loved it. You know, I love the I love the fiend. It's just a scary thing. And I found the clip from this one of the, my scariest movies that I ever saw in my life when I was a little kid. It was called House on Haunted Hill with Vincent Price. And there's a scene in there where this woman is inside this room and all of a sudden the lights go out and then it does lightning flashes and you see the woman kind of terrified and then it goes dark again. And then again, the lightning flashes 
and standing right behind this woman is the scariest looking old woman with her eyes and look like they're blinded. You know, she has no pupils in her eyes and this white hair. And all of a sudden she just floats past this woman during the line. Then the lightning flashes again and they're gone, you know. So that was sort of what, what I was envisioning when we did the thing with, with uh, the fiend and myself. You know, I'm standing there and boom, that lighting, the way it was going dark and then light, boom, the dark. And then all of a sudden the feed appears, you know, right there behind me. And that's, that was, I mean, that was just a scary looking uh, thing for me. And I'm sure it was for even a lot of the young people that saw that. But uh, I was scared by the black scorpion when I was a kid. This would really freak me out. Yeah, no kidding. So anyway, yeah, yeah, I, 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 Thought that was cool, and that's going to be coming up at Hell in a Cell. I, I, you know, we heard. I mean, I don't know. I guess it's cool to hear Bray Wyatt speaking in the third person about the fiend and what's going to happen at Hell in a Cell. And I, I, I got, I got almost two. Uh, I don't know, two, two, like a double meaning from listening to what he said. He, uh, he almost was. Uh, he almost was paving the way for. Don't worry if the fiend doesn't win. You know he'll still is going to be pain and torture and all this kind of stuff for for uh, Seth Rollins. But I, I, I don't know. But then the, he came right back and said that he will. You know, it seemed like he's saying that the fiend will uh, um, at least hurt for sure. Hurt Seth Rollins' pain and all this kind of stuff. It was. I mean, I mean it, it was cool. I guess. I guess it would be difficult for. The fiend himself, as the fiend Bray Wyatt, to do interviews. I think just it's scarier just just to hear him laugh and that sort of thing. I'm sure we'll talk a lot about Bray as we go forward with the show and uh, your love of, of movie monsters. I looked up a Mid South Coliseum show from August 1989, and there's a result here that says Freddy and Jason beat Wolfman and Frankenstein. Uh, <laughs> could I assume that you possibly had the book at this point? I would. That would probably be a safe assumption. You're right. I don't know if I've ever. I don't know if I've ever told the story. I think I did tell the story at one time. How my fascination with these monster masks came about. Um, I was probably. I was probably about five or six years old. Yeah, but because it was right before we had moved to uh, moved my family up to Cleveland, Ohio, and we moved up there when I was seven. So I was five or six years old, and. My my brother was four years older than me. My brother Larry was four years older than me. And the, it was at that time of the year uh, when we were just little kids. We lived in, of course, out in East Memphis, just little, very, very uh, uh, lower middle income family and neighborhood. And, the, and it was like one of those deals you go out, you know, you get home from school or whatever, and you get to go out and play. Uh, but then you got to be inside back before dark. Our, 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 uh, yeah, it was like our social, our social network or whatever back the, in those days was called outside. Just, <laughs> Imagine just, that. Yeah. You just got to go out and play. And then when it got dark, you had to come in and Halloween was the only night of the year that you got to stay out after dark and uns- unsupervised basically, you know, so my brother and I would get our little, uh, usually in, at that time, 
it consisted of a pillowcase and we'd walk around and, you know, we'd get to go up and down our street and then the, we'd get to go over one more street and that's how, where we trick-or-treated. And that was my, my, my favorite night of the year just because, I don't know, just being out unsupervised after dark or that sort of thing and being that, that small of a kid. Well, like I said, we were from, you know, this, this picture, I think I got this picture in my book that came out back in, 2000 or something. It's good to be the king sometimes. But there was a picture that, that we, that was taken this one Halloween. Like I said, it was me and my brother Larry and right next door in the house next door to us were two kids that were the exact same. It was, their name was Chucky and Jimmy and uh, Chucky was four years older than Jimmy and Jimmy was like my age and, and their last name was Teeters. Chucky and Jimmy Teeters. They were our next door neighbors. And me and Larry played with those two guys. We played all the time. I mean, you know, just right there and there. They were in their backyard or they were in our backyard. And that was our two best friends on the street. So all of a sudden it's Halloween. And, you know, this was, if, if you, if you remember the Charlie Brown, you remember Charlie Brown comic strips, mm-hmm. what, what was, what was Charlie Brown's Halloween costume? You know what? I, I'm not up to, on my peanuts. Well, anyway, those kids back then, it was like when you didn't have uh, money to spend on a Halloween costume, every kid, almost every kid was a ghost, right? You had the little, you had the white sheet and you cut the round eye holes out. And we had moved, my brother Larry and I had, and it was just because your family didn't have any money, you know. And we had moved up to the point to where we, we still had the little ghost costumes but my parents did go out this year and get us like a little rubber mask you know with the little rubber band string on the back of it and and you got these little rubber masks and my brother's i think was sort of like a little like a little devil mask and mine and obviously one of the things my mom bought them and got them for us i would have never picked it out and mine was a little pig face like a little porky pig, right? Okay. So I'm already embarrassed because I'm the, my brother's the devil and I'm the little pig. And so we're standing there getting ready to take our picture with Chucky and Jimmy before we go out trick-or-treating. And Oz, here they come in. And I don't know how, but somehow their parents had gone out like to Woolworths or something and, and got them the full-blown Halloween costume that would come in a box and it was a, all this really awesome looking, you know, top and bottom pants and everything. And then this big, huge, scary looking mask. And they were both some kind of monsters in these outfits. And and I don't know. It was just it was something that that affected me really for life. Standing there with my little sheet and pig face and our neighbors had these cool mask, scary looking mask and everything. And their outfits were so awesome looking. That's that, that just, I didn't realize it at the time, but it just stuck with me my whole life. And somehow later on, as I was a kid growing up and, and, and when I got older and started making some money, I found these, uh, in the back of one of those famous monster magazines, I found these Don post was also another famous movie makeup artist for horror movies. All of a sudden Don post starts making these, great latex masks 
full head mask and and I see this ad in the back of this monster magazine and there's there's Frankenstein there's the wolf man there's the uh, king kong there's dracula and all of these the mummy all of these masks that look just like the hollywood movie characters right and they were like i don't know 40 50 dollars each which was which was a lot of money at the time when the, when they first came out so just something in me i harkened back to that halloween and I just sat down and I ordered every one of those masks. And so I have, oh, and still to this day over the years, uh, if I see a really cool Halloween mask, I'll buy it. And I've got it in, in my, sitting with all my, my memorabilia and stuff over the years that I've used over the years, there's a whole row of all of these masks in my, uh, uh, you know, in my memorabilia room right now that I've, the ones that were used as Dr. Frank and uh, ones that were used as the Wolfman and the mummy. So I, I had all these masks and then I don't know, somewhere uh, once I started booking, Jerry Jarrett gave me the, gave me the opportunity to book some territories. I said, heck, I'll book some monsters. I'll book, <laughs> I'll book a, some, a monster match. You know, some of the big, some of the greatest movies were Frankenstein versus the werewolf or Frankenstein versus the, the mummy and that sort of thing. So, so I just, I, I, I booked those matches and I've always been a fan of that kind of stuff ever since. I like how you're loyal to your passions, whether it's the Browns and Indians or Coca-Cola <laughs> pro wrestling, Superman, Batman. There you go. Five-hour energy is energy on the go. Well, what if you're not going anywhere for a while? Then five-hour energy is for getting stuff done while you're stuck at home, like doing an honest day's work for your boss. Getting rid of old clothes. Oh, my old bell-bottoms. Scouring the grout in your shower. Working out on that old stationary bike. And so much more. Go to the store or order online at shop5hourenergy.com. Five-hour energy. Energy for hunkering down. ESPN's Woody Page is putting down the chalkboard and picking up the mic for the Woody Page podcast on Podcast One. You came to me and said, I'm thinking about taking this job with the NFL Network. Yeah. What do you think? And I said, take it because you can always come back to newspapers. <laughs> I can tell you, Jim Sakamano, who was a vice president with the Broncos, I remember going to him and he looked at me like I was crazy, like, you must stay. Drop the chalk and download new episodes of the Woody Page podcast every week on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. We're going to get to uh, what you're up to in a little bit here. Next week, we'll talk about, you know, the first week of NXT and AEW going head-to-head. We'll be talking about SmackDown on Fox, the premiere there. Uh, I know Bruce... Finally, Lee- The Rock is coming back. Yes, well, The Rock. They're pulling, out, they're pulling out all the stops. Don't go Steve Austin's going to be there. The Rock. Of course, it's it's in the, the show is being uh, broadcast from L.A. Staples Center. So, all oh, there, there's, there, there's no telling how many guest stars are going to be making cameo appearances at the show. I can't wait. I can't wait to see it. And, you know, I was, of course, I was, I was scheduled to be there. Uh, I mean, I, I still got my, my travel schedule where I was going to be uh, on SmackDown. You know, I did the very first ever episode. I broadcast the very first ever episode of SmackDown, JR and I. Yeah. And so uh, I was definitely going to be there, but then they decided that now that I'm uh the host of Monday Night Raw. You know, I'm the host. I'm the official host of the oh, show. Oh, I didn't realize you were the official host. I'm the official host of Monday Night Raw. So anyway, uh, once they decided that, they they thought that they didn't need me to be there at SmackDown. To, you know, they have all this other star power, and it, it just didn't want to. 
be all convoluted. So we're just we're just raw now, which is cool. Very cool. Uh, briefly, did we, uh, you know, there's been a lot of discussion online about uh, the end of your last podcast, and I know there's some legal stuff going on, so you can't say much, but uh, before we get to what you're up to, anything briefly about that? Well, yeah, you know, I had done, I think, 96 or 97 episodes of a podcast called Dinner with the King, and so um, I was really hesitant to started and I got kind of talked into it, but then it became, you know, it became after a while, it became kind of fun to do and everything. And I was doing it with a guy that, uh, that I'd known for years and really thought that, uh, you know, I I mean, I was close friends with the guy. I mean, he had come and stayed at my house and all that sort of stuff. And he was the, you know, the host and he actually owned the podcast company that, that, uh, you know, the podcast was on. So in a sense, I was kind of working for the guy, you know, so, um, but then all of a sudden he had, he had another job. He lost, he lost his job and things got, uh, uh, I've, I've really, I mean, it's just, there was such a, it was like a, all of a sudden a disappearing act. Uh, he just dropped out of sight because he got everything financially got so bad off for him. And he, he made some bad decisions in the fact that, uh, he promised some artwork and some merchandise to some fans of mine, uh, you know, that followed us on the, on the, uh, on my website and followed us on the podcast. And then he, he took money from these people for this merchandise and for artwork that he supposedly commissioned for me to do. And then he, he took the money from him, had him PayPal him money and never told me about it. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden these people, and he was just doing it constantly. Finally, I get this, uh, somebody comes to me and says, where's my merchandise or where's my artwork? And I'm, I said, I didn't know what you're talking about. And so then, um, you know, Finally, once we had the confrontation, uh, the guy, he just disappeared. He's like a missing person now. I, we haven't heard any more from him. This is back since like May of, of, uh, this year. Mm. So we just, uh, you know, the, the, the dinner with the King stopped and, um, you know, and like you said, there's, I mean, I've, I realized that, uh, you know, he promised a lot of stuff to a lot of people, took money for him. I've been trying to make restitutions on, on some of these things, and people are still getting in touch with me. And I, I, I want him to get in touch with me if, you know, there's something out there that he promised somebody or that they paid for and, and that sort of thing. But, you know, uh, the dinner with the king is, is, is gone. And that's why you and I are, you know, we've, we've looked around and, and, and to be on, be on podcast one, that is a, that is amazing. I mean, we're on here. Stone Cold Steve Austin is on podcast one, his, his uh, podcast. Not bad and company. I, not bad company at all. And so, and, and we've, we've talked with these people a lot. And really looking forward to working with them that they're, you know, first class all the way. And so this is our, this is our, our debut. You know, we had all these premieres, the premiere um, week of Monday Night Raw season premiere. And now we've got our season premiere of the Jerry Lawler show here on podcast one. And and you know what? We're going to that was one of the things that I told my old co-host. I, I hate to go around and put a lot of pressure on somebody to be on as a guest on my podcast. So a lot of times it's just 
you know, it'll be you and I, Sean, talking about things that are going on in the wrestling world, or we'll go back and tell some old stories. But I did, we did wind up having, you know, quite a few guests on, and we are gonna, we are gonna have some guests on here in the future. I've had a lot of people, um, you know, come up and volunteer actually. Uh, so that, those people, I don't mind putting it, putting a call into, you know, you know, and it's funny, I think one of the first guys, uh, that I want to have on, I just spoke with him last week. Uh, do you remember, and I just saw him because somebody sent a tweet out. I, well, I put out a tweet about when they were doing the King of the Ring. I said, of all the Kings of the Ring, this guy was my favorite. And it was Owen Hart. Do you remember that tweet that I put out where it was me uh, in my King outfit interviewing Owen in his in his throne and robe and everything? Yes, the King of Hearts. He was great in that yeah, role. The King of Hearts. He was. Well, then I guess, and I can't remember all of the all of the details of it, but he does remember it, and he's going to come on and uh, and come on as a guest on our podcast in the very near future. You remember this kid called Jason Sensation? I absolutely do. Tremendous impressions. Oh, my gosh. He was unbelievable, and I had forgotten all about it, and I went back. I went back and uh, watched uh, uh, some of his stuff that he did, and apparently it was almost like I brought him in on the show, and and then we were and he, anyway he got in touch with me just last week, and he wants to come on and and he, and he said, man, I still do over 500 impersonations, and I'm a big fan of that. I'm a big fan of people doing impersonations, and uh, so we're gonna have Jason on real soon, and uh, we'll get to hear some more Owen Hart and Bret Hart and Undertaker, and I mean the guy does 500 different uh, impersonations. Won't need me that for, for that episode. That'd be great. But uh, <laughs> what did you say? Won't need you. I think the uh, the Twitter clip didn't show. Do you remember that Owen Hart actually came out and like beat him up? Mm. So. He he reminded me of that. But no, that clip did not show that. But that did happen. Didn't it? And then he then he also told me I'm that's I'm I'm excited about having him on because he said I brought him down to Memphis. And we were doing something on Memphis TV, and I don't remember that at all. Well, that was in '98, so it must have been Power Pro. I guess it was. And uh, I was going to say, you can be sure that uh, I will not disappear on you because Randy Hales would hunt me down if I tried to do that. So, <laughs> yes, he will. Yes, he would. Yes, he would. I would love Randy Hales. So, uh, where can we uh, see the King coming up over the next few weeks besides uh, on Monday Night Raw? Well, you know what? Uh, yeah, I did want to talk about that, uh, but I also wanted to go back and, and sort of talk about a few things that you know that have happened or things that I've appearances I made and things that I've got to do since the last time I did a podcast which was I think in May May 17th was the last podcast or whatever but I remember back in right not long after that on June 21st uh, I was down for a big appearance June 21st we opened up a brand new barbecue restaurant, Jerry Lawler's Memphis Barbecue down in Benton, Louisiana, right outside of Shreveport. So I was down there for the grand opening of that. And speaking of that, and speaking of upcoming things, uh, this is coming up real soon, October the 18th. We are going to be back at that uh, Jerry Lawler's Memphis Barbecue in Benton, Louisiana, and I'm 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 going to bring down a ring. We're going to set up a live ring, and, and just like we did at my barbecue restaurant here in Memphis, and like we did at my at uh, my barbecue restaurant uh, down on Beale Street, we're going to set up a ring, and we're going to have some live. We're going to have a live wrestling show huh? right there, October the 18th, at the, my barbecue restaurant in Benton, Louisiana. So if you're in or around that way that, that way. Uh, that day, come on down. We're going to be doing a meet and greet. It's going to be like an all-day event on October the 18th. Can we have Jerry Calhoun make a drive? 
You know, he want. I think I may bring Jerry Calhoun on that. Uh, it, it, I mean, from Memphis, that's about it's about a five and a half hour drive. Oh. So uh, I don't know if I, I can get him to drive around that long in a golf cart, but I don't know about <laughs> it behind the wheel of a car. Um, and then let's see, August the tenth. I was, I was uh, be remiss if I didn't mention it. We had a big show with uh, Burt Prentice up in Jackson, Tennessee, and and I'm, we got a show coming up really quick soon here, uh, back in Jackson as well. But he put on a great show. He brought in he brought in the mouth of the South, Jimmy Hart, to be in my corner to go against the Boogeyman. And it, oh my gosh, it was, it's the biggest crowd that he's drawn yet. So for one of his shows there at the Omen uh, Arena in Jackson, Tennessee, and it was so great because this uh, uh, Lucky Pete Larson, who is kind of a manager up in that area in uh, in Burt's wrestling area, and he's been a, like a thorn in my side. He's always been bringing in people to uh, you know to try to beat me and that sort of thing. So he brought in Boogeyman for this night, and. It, it was funny. I mean, Lucky Pete comes out there and starts talking to me and brings out Boogeyman. The people are just like in shock. This was such a great entrance. I mean, even the, even there in Jackson, the Boogeyman was a, such a great entrance. Anyway, this idiot Lucky Lucky Pete starts uh, insulting the Boogeyman as he's you know encouraging him to go beat me up. Long story short, it wound up being uh, it wound up being a tag team match where Boogeyman became my partner. And we went against he and I went against uh, two of uh, Lucky Pete's regular uh, tag team guys. So we wound up having a great match. And and afterwards, Boogeyman said, "King, this is the truth." He said, and I think the match went like eighteen or twenty minutes. And he said, "King, that's without a doubt. The, I tell you this from my heart. That's the longest match I've ever been in since I've been in wrestling." I said, you can't keep kidding me. So I guess match, his matches are pretty short. But he had the worms. And, 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 oh, my gosh, it was so cool. He started throwing worms out on people in the audience. And they were, yeah. It was like he thought he was, like, throwing fire on them or something. You know, just these night crawlers and everything. Anyway, he stuffed a handful of worms down the throat of, of Lucky Pete Larson. That was that was a, a lot of fun night. I've done so – I got to do uh, – Throwing out the first pitch, some baseball appearances. Uh, August the seventh, I was up with the Rochester Red Wings. They had a they had a great great game up there, and I was uh, with those people. And then on the the twenty third of August, I got to go and visit with the Potomac Nationals. Throw out the first pitch there, and sign a bunch of autographs and see people. And you know what's cool about that? Guess who was on a on a rehab appearance and played in that game that night that I was there? No idea. Ryan, Ryan Zimmerman. Oh. Yeah, Ryan Zimmerman, man, this guy's the MVP guy, you know, for the Washington Nationals. And then, uh, oh, you'll remember this, August the 30th, I I did uh, that StarCast event up there. uh, And and that night, I wrestled in something called GCW. Yes. You know what that is, don't you? Yes, Game Changer Wrestling, they have a lot of buzz right now. Yes, they do. And I wrestled a guy named Mance Warner, and it was crazy. Uh, I didn't know anything about this promotion really at all. And all of a sudden we get to this building that looks sort of like a warehouse or whatever. But next thing you know, this place is packed. I mean, there's several thousand people in there and they're going crazy. And they, some, some, I'm looking out and watching some of these matches. I, I just glanced through the curtain at one time and I look and they got two like 15 foot step ladders in the middle of the ring and these two guys are wrestling and all of a sudden this one guy is putting these these uh, fluorescent light tubes across spread across between these two uh ladders 
And I'm thinking, what in the heck is going on out there? And the people are, ooh, ah, ooh, ah. And then uh, I don't know. I, I don't know if he was trying to set his opponent up to do some kind of move. Anyway, his foot slipped, the ladder slipped. Boom, he fell down between the ladders through those light, uh, fluorescent light tubes, and they all busted, ripped this poor guy's arm up. I mean, he had to go right to the hospital. His yeah. arm looked – I don't know how many stitches he had there. But anyway, after they got the ring all cleaned out, I went out and wrestled Mance Warner, and uh, I didn't realize it. That, that I thought, maybe I better ask this guy because I was like the first time I'd ever met him. And I said – are you like a fan favorite? He said, Oh yeah, yeah. They, yeah. They, they like me here. I said, Oh, well in that case, I guess I should be a heel. So it was fun. All of a sudden I walked out to a big, I went out first, got this big explosion, big pop, everybody, you know, Hey, it's the King. Blah, blah, blah. And they were all happy to see me. And then I guess, said, can I, ask, can I get the microphone for a minute? <laughs> and so, and within about, uh, within about, I don't know, a minute and a half, I had everybody going from, you know, chanting Jerry, Jerry, Jerry to F U, F U, F U. Well, you, uh, you, you dared to forsake the name of my beloved ECW and the crowd, uh, you went back on, on the 90s thing and the crowd turned. <laughs> yeah, I, I told him, I said, this is deja vu for me. I remember going to this crappy arena that looked like this <laughs> for a place called ECW, and I called it extremely crappy wrestling and now here i'm for a place called gcw and i look around and i say this has got to be god awful crappy wrestling <laughs> so they, they yeah they turned on me instantly one time i was down, i was out in the middle of the ring or down, out of the ring out on the floor and we we're fighting there and some guy some idiot takes off his tennis shoe and he hands it to me he said hit him hit him with this king hit him with this and i took this smelly tennis shoe and I looked at it, and now we were right by, up by the ring, and I just hauled up, and I threw it as far as I could throw it to the back of the arena, right? I threw this guy's shoe back there, and all of a sudden, he gives me the double fingers, right, just immediately after I, after I threw his shoe. First, he wants me to hit the guy with his shoe, and then when I threw his shoe, he turned on me immediately, you know. But anyway, the, yeah, Mance and I had a what I thought was a really cool, fun match there. I wound up pile driving him through a uh, like a door. Somehow somebody had a like a wooden door in the room. Yeah. I think they're I think they're less expensive than tables. So anyway, I piled drive the guy through a wooden door. But uh yeah, G C W was fun. I'll go back there sometime. The only thing, the bad thing, the matches started at eleven PM. Yeah, yeah, they were doing that, uh doing it after the Starcast events. Uh anything left for us to cover on this first episode? Uh, oh, I had a good time at Salt Lake City Comic Con. I was there with my buddy Mike Kingston. Um, that when was that? That was in uh, September the fifth, sixth, and seventh, I think. Man, Salt Lake City Comic Con. It was the first time I'd ever done it. It was awesome, and Salt Lake City was awesome. I'm thinking about moving there. It's a beautiful, beautiful, clean, beautiful city. And um, anyway, I met Tom Tom Holland, the guy from uh, Spider Man. Well, let me tell you how, how over this uh, Tom Holland guy is. Uh, you know, they, they what they do, they have these guest stars come in and at these Comic-Cons. And I, I would imagine I, I, sometimes the Comic-Con itself will contact these people, or usually it's like a promoter will contact the people and they'll say – uh, like this, like Tom Holland. It's no telling what they say. All right, I want you here for uh, – 
four hours today on a Saturday and four or Friday and four hours on Saturday. What will you charge me to come there and take pictures and sign autographs? And so then this guy will give them a figure. Uh, and, and there's no telling what Tom, Holland, I, I would, I would estimate that Tom Holland charged him a hundred thousand dollars to come there and do the pictures. Right. And so then what the promoter has to do, he has to sit down and say, Let's see, how many can he do in this four hours of signing? And how much will I have to charge the fans to come out and pay for him and make some money? So what it worked out to with Tom Holland, to get your picture made with him and to get his autograph, what do you think it costs? Oh, my gosh. Nowadays, a picture and an autograph, uh, $400. I must already told you, right? No. No, yes, it was four hundred dollars. Okay, that's, out, that's outrageous. That's crazy. Well, that's that's the way these comic cons are nowadays. It's insane. Yeah, but I've never heard of it that kind of money. I remember when Luke Skywalker was the, there and he was charging a hundred bucks. Uh, at the, but this was the first New York Comic Con I ever went to. But but I didn't realize it had gone that high, that crazy. But yeah, they were charging four hundred bucks. And I promise you, the line was wrapped around the building. He must have done, I'm not exaggerating, I bet he did a thousand in those, in the, in the four hours. So that's why they have all those people, uh, hurrying you through the process as quickly as possible. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. You got to run through there quick. And so the New York Comic Con is coming up, and I was supposed to be doing that, but then I had to take off for the, for the SmackDown show. And then, the, and then back doing the the raw and all that sort of stuff. But anyway, my buddy Mike Kingston, he's got uh, he's got a big lineup there at the New York Comic Con. He's going to have uh, let's see, Scott Hall is going to be there, and oh gosh, and Mick Foley's going to be there. But anyway, he's got a huge lineup of different guys that uh, it's uh, it's always fun, and it's not going to cost you four hundred dollars to get these guys to, to autograph. I mean, that was like I mean, I, I thought they was I thought they was charging hard uh, a high dollar for me and Jr. Uh, <laughs> when at, at that Starcast thing, Jr. and I were were doing uh, a signing, and I think it was like seventy five bucks, and I thought, gosh, that's a lot of money for somebody to come in and pay for a picture of me and Jr. Well, but four hundred four hundred dollars. I remember oh Steve, Aust- Steve Austin did uh, an appearance somewhere during a WrestleMania weekend. It was it was a couple hundred. Oh yeah, well yeah, they, you're right. I guess so. So four hundred bucks for that guy. A poor poor um, the six million dollar man. Uh, the actor. Yeah. The uh uh oh the the six million dollar man that was. See, I know all this stuff. <laughs> Austin. Uh, no, that was uh. It, he, uh... He, he, you know what his name. If you remember his name, Lee Majors. On the show. Yeah, Lee Majors. There you go. But his name on the show. Do you remember what his name was as a six million dollar man? It was USAF Colonel Steve Austin. There you go, Steve Austin. Yes. But anyway, yeah, Lee Majors. Poor Lee Majors. He's sitting there signing, and he wasn't charging. Uh, <laughs> he wasn't charges, but he and Lindsey Wagner, who was the bionic woman, they were both there at the show. And then I, I had to go over and get a picture with. Um, uh, the guy, you're going to have to look this up real quick. But the guy that was um, in, in the movie Sandlot, you know, the one that said, you're killing me, Smalls. He's, he looks exactly the same today as he did. And that's probably one of the most famous, one of the most famous baseball movies ever. But he was a really cool guy. And he one of these picture maybe me. And, that, and so, uh, but yeah, he, he, everybody loved him. You're killing me, Smalls. I and I hear your fingers. I hear you. You're just fine trying to type it. Can you imagine being my age and 
and realizing that you graduated from high school without Wikipedia or Google? <laughs> hey, I remember uh, teachers telling us we were going to be able to carry a calculator with us wherever we went, and uh, they were wrong. <laughs> That's right. Well, anyway, uh, what else we're going to talk about? I don't know. That's it. Oh, oh, the things I got coming up. Upcoming plug, plugs. Like I said, October the 18th, I'm going to be at the uh, live wrestling at the barbecue restaurant, Jerry Lawler's Memphis Barbecue down in Benton, Louisiana. And then the, the day after that, the Saturday after that is the 19th and 20th. That's Saturday and Sunday. We've got the Memphis Comic Expo. It's going to be our big Memphis Comic uh, Con out at the Agri Center. I'm going to be out there. Donnie's going to have me out there with uh, my Batmobile. Ah, oh, very nice. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna t- have to go up on the price of the Batmobile. If, if Spider Man's getting a hundred grand, I got to really go up on the Batmobile price. Free market. Yeah, and then so that's the 19th and 20th, and then Raw is going to be in Cleveland on October 21st. So I'm sure a lot of the Browns and my buddy Brad Mellon will probably come out to the show because it's a bye week for the Browns that that week. So uh, October 21st, Cleveland. Anything else you want? What, you got any big, big upcoming things, Sean? I, uh, you know, nothing too big. You can follow me on Twitter at SeanReedy16. Uh, I also do Booking Memphis Wrestling with Jerry Jarrett and uh, Memphis Memories with Randy Hales, which may have something to do with how I got to know Jerry the King Lawler. Uh, yeah. But uh, I think this went pretty well for a first time. Well, that's your opinion. <laughs> but no, it, it did okay. We'll be all right. We'll come and we'll come and do it again, and we'll try to add some humor and a little more something. To laugh about next time. I appreciate it, Sean. Thank like you it. very much. We'll be back next week talking about uh, all the probably historic stuff that's going to be happening. And uh, thanks for listening to us here on Podcast One. Bye bye. Don't miss the Jordan Harbinger show on podcast one. You know, like if you're nervous or scared about a situation, instead of being like, nah, there's nothing to be scared about, nothing to be scared about. Oh, shit, there is. <laughs> this week, Jordan joins former Laker great and Oscar winner Kobe Bryant for an unforgettable conversation that you don't want to miss. You own it, you give it a hug, <laughs> you embrace it, and now what are you going to do about it? Check out the Jordan Harbinger show every week on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One.